This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Welcome back to a brand new edition of the Ariel Helwani basketball show. I love today's show. I love today's guest. I was first introduced to him around over a decade or so ago. Uh, he joined this podcast that I listen to all the time based in Canada. They were called the Basketball Jones. His name, Lee Ellis from Australia. And I was attracted to his accent, to his demeanor, to his joie de vivre when talking about the game how excited he would get, how positive he was about the great game of basketball. And so I, I really was a fan of his work. And then they moved to NBA TV and Turner in Atlanta, and they became uh, the starters. And after a few years there, and I thought they did a great job there, they moved to The Athletic and became no dunks. And uh, I remained a very big fan of their show and of Lee's in particular. And then at the end of last season, uh, he announced that he was leaving No Dunks, and he was going on this amazing voyage trying to uh, play pickup basketball in 20 different countries, but it was much more than that to me. It was you know someone who had a great run, an unexpected run, if you will, as an NBA media personality, and then kind of, I don't know, hit a ceiling, got burnt out, and wanted to do something different, still involved in the game, but on a much different level. And he's in the midst of that journey right now, and that journey is evolving as we speak. And so, very excited to have him on the show to talk about why he left you know, the media game, why he's doing what he's doing, where he's at in his journey here, playing pickup games all over the world, and the people that he is meeting. You'll hear in the interview, just tremendous stories. And I can't wait to see where he goes from here and where he takes this, this endeavor. He's been, he's been uh, called the Anthony Bourdain of basketball. I think that's a very fitting nickname. Uh, he is also called the International Man of Mystery, also a very fitting nickname. But as you can see, an infectious personality, a love of the game, and he's doing great things. And there's a great lesson to be learned here for anyone who may feel stuck, who may feel like they've hit a wall, who may feel like they want to do something else. Listen to Lee Ellis, and I, I bet you will be inspired. So sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation. I loved it. Here's my chat with the one and only Lee Ellis. You know, one of my favorite memories from the early days of the pandemic is when our guest today, Lee Ellis, reached out to me to do a little Instagram Live. He was doing this uh, very fun series. I do believe it was called Popping Packs with the great international man of mystery himself, uh, Lee Ellis, where he would have guests on. He would open up old school uh, NBA cards and you would have to guess 
you know, who the player was that he was opening in the packs. Now, I'm uh, a lover, especially of 80s and 90s NBA basketball and personalities. He is as well. And so I think we hit it off right away. (laughs) I've long been a fan of his work, and I love what he is doing now in his life and career. So it is a great honor to have the Anthony Bourdain of basketball (laughs) on the program here this week, the one and only Australia's own Lee Ellis. Hello, Lee. How are you? Fine, thanks, Ariel. Thanks very much for having me. And you know, when you uh, invited me to come on, I got got ready just in case. Uh, Uh, I got got a few packs here because I'm not sure which direction we're going to go in this, but... uh, I'm always prepared because that was uh, a really fun segment there we had with you. I think we ended up opening two packs. Yes, I think we were getting we for nearly an hour. Um, you know, uh, and that was yeah, that was crazy because at the start I was a bit like yourself, just trying to you know get people to come on, and I wasn't sure who was going to respond. And when you did, it was great. And I'm always like, well, I know you're busy. I know you've got a ton of things going on, so I'll, I'll try to keep it to 15 minutes or so. And I think we went for uh, well over an hour. So, I want to uh, keep going. Dare I say, you let me know. Uh, did I surprise you a little bit with my knowledge on that day? <laughs> Yes and no. I mean, I, I knew you were a basketball fan. I didn't know quite how deep it went. I think you were telling me a story about game five of the 94 finals uh, with your brother, something with uh, your brother. Yeah. My father, my oh, father. Oh, your father, was it? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, Nicks and the Rockets. And so uh, that's that's when I knew that, okay, this is, this is a good one. And of course, I remember you from ESPN. I really enjoyed your work on the sidelines there. I thought you did a fantastic job uh, crossing over. Not many people can genuinely do that in uh across sporting fields like you did and i thought you were uh, slotted in seamlessly there i appreciate that very much um i want to talk about what you're doing right now because it's fascinating and it speaks to me in a great way but before we do that i want to just establish a little bit about your journey you're from australia clearly the accent uh <laughs> Actually, you've talked a lot before about how the 1987 NBA All-Star Game was sort of your first introduction to NBA basketball. And I do believe prior to that, you were a big pro wrestling fan, right? <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're kindred spirits in that sense too. By the way, still a pro wrestling fan or did you graduate after watching that game? Well, I, I did graduate to be honest. Okay, uh, fair enough. But I have yet. I've got two boys. I've got an 11-year-old and a six-year-old and they love John Cena-ing each other and they love talking about The Rock. And I know I know those guys aren't necessarily the, the big names right now, but um, I think it has filtered through to my boys. But yeah, the I mean, the WrestleMania in the 80s in Australia, it was the biggest thing going there for a while. And I had the figurines. I had the Hulk Hogan. I had the King Kong Bundy. And we used to wrestle and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, there was a real good, a real close overlap because, you know, wrestling at the time when you're 11 years old, you don't know that it's not real. I mean, you you see these incredible matches and these guys with these names, you know, like Hulk Hogan, King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, the Iron Sheik. And so when the 87 All-Star game came out and I got that, and you had Sir Charles Barkley and Moses Malone, Dr. J, you couldn't tell me there was anything different about that. It was the same sort of theatrical names and events. And then, of course, in the 87 All-Star game, that's when with, you know, three seconds to go, the West are down by two. Rolando Blackman goes in. He's got to hit the two free throws. That's like a movie right there. He knocks them in. They go on to win the game. And so for me, everything just sort of came together. It was the perfect overlap of my two loves at the time. Uh, but basketball won out in the end. So, you know, I'm, I'm very interested about this. You become a fan in the late 80s, 90s, etc. How hard was it to be a... NBA basketball fan in Australia back then, because growing up in Canada, I know you have some famous uh, Canadian friends who, you know, are huge basketball fans as well. <laughs> the uh, the No Dunks crew, love them very much. Yeah. Uh, I remember, I mean, I was in a hockey fan. I was an NBA fan first and foremost. The, the, the main channel back then, TSN, would never show 
NBA highlights. It was only like the last 10 seconds of Sports Desk, they called it, where they would just show like a full screen with the scores. And even when the Raptors came in 95, it took a while for NBA basketball to be a part of the culture. Was it hard to actually be a basketball fan when you were growing up in the 80s and 90s? Oh, absolutely. Because of those reasons, we didn't have cable TV. There was no internet. So once I started to really love the NBA, getting access to it was virtually impossible. I mean, we would get scores in the newspaper a few days after they would happen. And then maybe you'd get the odd highlight on a, on a, they used to have this show called Wide World of Sports on a Sunday where they would sort of show you different sports around the world. You might get a minute clip of something that's going on. But we knew about Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan, but we just couldn't see them. So I had to do whatever I could. And, and one thing we did get was Hoop Magazine and mm. Basketball Digest and Street and Smiths and uh, and a couple others. And so when I went to my local news agents and I saw these basketball magazines, I grabbed them as soon as I could. They cost probably, you know, five bucks back then, which was a fortune. But because of the shipping and all that, it cost a fortune. Um, and then I I made a deal with the news agents. I said, any basketball magazine, any NBA magazine, just reserve me a copy and I will buy it. And I've still got those hoop magazines here today oh, with, wow. with with the uh, Ellis sticker label on them that they used to keep in there. And um, I mean, look, it ended up costing mum most of the money because <laughs> I, I just couldn't afford it. But I think she at least appreciated that it was my passion and what I loved. And the other story that I've told people is how a friend of mine's dad used to work for Qantas and, and part of his job, he was maintenance man there, was cleaning the, the planes. And so when they would fly in from Los Angeles or San Francisco, the USA Today, they're wrinkled up old Wow. 14, 15 hour flight USA Today, but it had all the box scores in it. And it usually had a sentence or two about a game and, and occasionally a big story. And I said to my friend, tell your dad, grab all, of, grab them as much as you can. And then what happened was my friend, you know, he didn't come in with them one day. And I said, what happened? He said, oh, I just couldn't be bothered. And I said, listen, I'll, I'll give you money, but you've got to, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to get these newspapers for me. So he used to bring in all these newspapers and I would just pour through box scores and read all sorts of little stories and things like that. And then one day I remember my dad had given me pocket money, you know, an allowance uh, as it's called in Australia. And and then the next day I asked him for more money and, and, he, and he said, well, what happened to the money I gave yesterday? And I said, oh, I, I bought used USA Today newspapers off my friend. <laughs> wow. And that he was hard. like, that's yeah. a true fan right there. That's yeah. a true fan who loves and the so, game. I mean, and the other thing was I used to, in, in this Hoop magazine, I remember, or Basketball Digest was actually, um, one year it was a preview uh, ep, uh, uh, edition. And they had all the addresses for the teams and the NBA head office. And so I literally wrote to every single team and just said, you know, I'm a big fan of this guy or this guy. And when they wrote back, when the teams wrote back, I mean, it was like Christmas morning for me. Like it wouldn't matter what they sent me, but if they sent me a postcard or a photo or, or whatever it was, I just loved that so much. And I felt so connected because it was like, man, I'm making contact here with the NBA teams. And the funniest one was I wrote to the NBA head office as well, and I've still got the letters that that said, you know, David Stern said, uh, one letter said, David Stern asked me to write back to you personally. And and so, you know, they uh, they responded to me, and that was kind of like the scene in Shawshank Redemption, you know, when when um, when when Andy Dufresne writes to get the funding for the library, yeah. and they say, right, here's your funding now, stop writing yeah, to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Well, instead, I just wrote more and more and more letters to the league office and every team, and uh, it, it was just incredible. So it was really fun when I look back at it now because it was so hard, and you had to go through, you had to handwrite these letters and post them and then wait months to get a response, uh, but it was always worth it in the end. Do you recall the date of the first NBA game you attended? Yes, I do, actually. It was in uh, 2001. It was in Toronto. It was uh, about April 15, I'm going to say. And it was the Raptors and uh, Detroit Pistons. And the funny thing was, 
When Michael Jordan retired the second time and we had the lockout, that was the same year that I moved to London. And at that same time, when the lockout came, I was kind of like, I hate I hate that they're locking out and I don't really miss this. And that also coincided with me moving to London and seeing Manchester United win the treble for the first time in, in, in I, can't, I can't even remember how many, 30 years or something like that. And, and if you know about that, they won, I think, the the premiership on the last day of the season. They won the FA Cup against uh, Newcastle and then against Bayern Munich in the final. They were down 1-0 until injury time. And then Teddy Sheringham scores and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scores. And so I was captivated by soccer. All of a sudden, I'd forgotten about the NBA. I was living there. It was, it was incredible. And at the same time, the NBA kind of was like, well, they're on strike. There's no Jordan. It, it, it's sort of, it's like you fall out of love with it for a little bit. So when I moved to Toronto in 2001, I said to my friend, all right, I've got to go to a Raptors game. I've heard about Vince Carter. I've seen some highlights. I've got to see this guy in person myself and 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 see what I can do, you know, see if I can fall in love with the game again. And he had a terrible game, but it went to overtime. And then the last shot of the game, Vince Carter got it in the baseline, rose up and knocked down the baseline jumper with about three seconds to go. And they beat the Pistons. And that was almost again like wow, I'm back in love with this girl, you know, because yeah. it was it was the most captivating moment. Vince did it. The crowd went crazy. And that was the same season, of course, the Raptors and the Sixers had that um, amazing second round playoff series. And so from, from then on, after breaking up with my uh, basketball girlfriend for a year or two there, I was I was back in love and it, uh, I haven't really stopped loving her since. <laughs> okay. So how do you go from rekindling that flame, so to speak, to actually making this a living? How do you connect with, at the time, the basketball Jones, right? Who then yes. became the starters, who then became no dunks. How does that happen? Yeah, well, so this is actually before even the basketball Jones were a thing, because this is 2001. And so I only had a one-year visa for Canada. So I moved back to London where I'm, I, because of my mum, I'm able to live there sort of indefinitely. And then I got another sneaky visa to Canada in 2006. And so I decided to come back and and um, I had no girlfriend, I had no job or, you know, no career, no mortgage or anything like that. And I said, I'm living in Canada for one year and that's it. And then I'm going back to Australia. And then about six weeks after I got to Toronto, I met this girl and, uh, you know, I didn't think anything was going to happen. And uh, we're going to be celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary later wow. this year. So, <laughs> so you can kind of put the pieces of that part together. But when we did get married... Um, in Toronto, I was I was about thirty, and and she was I was working in banks, and I didn't really have any career. And she was like, "Well, you know, if you want to if you want to try to make something out of career, you obviously love sports, you obviously love basketball. Well, now's the time." And that's when blogging everyone started blogging, and so I started blogging. Um, and I got, you know, it was funny. I realized early on, I, I wrote an article about Kobe Bryant and all of a sudden I got tons of traffic and I was like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's obviously what people want to read about. But I still wasn't really able to turn that into a career. And then what happened was a sports journalism school opened in Toronto called the uh, College of Sports Media. And, and I was like, okay, that's, that's where I need to go to, to maybe get my foot in the door. And I went and, and you had to apply, you had to sort of do a trial to see if you were, you know, the, the quality that they were looking for. And I, and I passed that. And then they said, okay, well, this is how much it costs. And it was just a staggering amount of money that I didn't have. And then my wife, who we'd only been married just over a year, she said, well, listen, you know, we can, we can, I, I can help you fund it through my sister. We'll just get you so you can get going and, and and make something out of your career. And so once she stumped up the cash, I was like, well, I'm determined to make something happen. And shortly after I started at the college there, I got an internship opportunity at the score in Toronto, which obviously, you know, the score. 
And I was able to turn that into a full-time job, which was great. Now, this is about 2009. And then I'd known about the Basketball Jones, but I didn't actually know they were Canadian. I I just thought they were New Yorkers or Los Angeles. I mean, you know, skeets, you know, it was like, man, this guy's just some, some hipster from New York or wherever. And then they joined the Basketball Jones in 2000, uh, the uh, score, sorry, in 2010. And once I saw what they were doing as far as a daily basketball podcast, I was like, oh, man, i got to get in on this somehow. And so I would sort of stroll past their office and poke my head in and, yeah, yeah, did you see the game last? Oh, yeah, I like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But the real, the irony is my big break came during the strike or lockout in 2011 when I'd actually just been in Australia uh, for a vacation. I got back and I was, again, walking past the office and JD and Matt were there and they said, what are you doing in November? And I was like, oh, you know, nothing. And they said, well, we, we're going on this uh, podcast tour and we, you know, we need someone else to come along and basically carry our bags and get us our coffees in the morning. And, and, I, and I said, yeah, I'll go, you know, without even, you know, hesitating now. My wife was pregnant with our first child at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> now she was only about three or four months, so it wasn't like she was she okay. was you know about to give birth. And so I came home and I and and you know as a husband you sort of you set it up. You say, well, I've been offered this opportunity and just to test the water. And she's like, oh well, you got to take that. I said, wow. oh, okay. I said, okay, I'll, okay, oh, great, I'll take that. You know, secretly I'd already accepted anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that if I didn't accept it, they would have offered it to somebody else, and whoever else was offered it would have taken it. And 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 that was the sort of break I was looking for. And so we went on that uh, podcast tour, the No Season Required tour. And then the NBA announced the season was coming back on Thanksgiving um, at Christmas. And so. After we got back, I said, you know, I want to keep working with you guys. And they said the same. And and so that's when I, I joined them full time that season, that shortened season. Um, and then, yeah, we we joined NBA TV. We came down here to Atlanta 10 years ago now, which is incredible. It feels like it was five minutes ago sometimes and other times it was like a, two decades ago. But, uh, yeah, so that was, you know, the irony was I got my break when there was no basketball on. And, um, you know, I, I, I got an opportunity there and I was able to make the most of it. You know, you you kind of quickly mentioned the NBA TV slash Turner opportunity 10 years ago, but I remember that vividly as well because I was watching that, you know, I was trying to do a similar thing with MMA and now you guys who, yes, you're working for the score and that's, you know, a pretty big entity in Canada this is America, this is Turner, this is the home of the NBA. And I was so thrilled for you guys. As an outsider, I don't even think we ever met. I don't even think, you know, I, I, I maybe knew Tass a little bit because he's a bit of an MMA fan, so we DM'd a couple of times. But I thought this was so massive that you guys were kind of stepping up to the big leagues with no disrespect to the score. But I mean, this is NBA TV, this is Turner. What was it like for you to make that move as a kid, all the way from Australia, this crazy yeah. journey, and now you're being validated by being a part of the NBA empire? I, I still I still sometimes struggle to comprehend it in that sense because so many people, especially from Australia and, and, and England and other places, have have messaged me over the years and said, you know, what's your secret? What's your what how did you get to NBA TV? And I'm like, there's no blueprint. There's no, you know, I didn't sit down one day and meticulously map this out and then execute it step by step. It really was uh, a sequence of sort of being in the right place at the right time, taking opportunities and trying to be ready when those opportunities presented themselves. And so the day I actually, and, and the other funny thing was once we made the announcement, we had about a month before we started the show and I got messages from especially a lot of friends and family in Australia said, oh, you've made it, you've made it. And and it felt the opposite though to me. It was more like, 
I'm, I'm going to screw this up. I'll be out of here in a month. You know, I, like this is NBA TV. Again, like you say, this is not doing the podcast at the score, which was a, a really cool laid back network that kind of let anything go. You felt like, oh, I, I can't afford to make one mistake here or else they'll, they'll can us, you know? So it was actually, it's, I guess it's like a, you know, a guy gets drafted to the NBA and you don't say, well, you've made it. You don't make it until you've actually then gone on and had success in the NBA. And so I, I remember like, having tremendous anxiety because I'd moved my wife away from her job. I mean, she was able to actually transfer, but still she was very happy in Toronto, friends there, family there. She, you know, she loved life in Toronto. We just had our first child and he was going to be now uprooted and thrown into a, a city where we didn't know anybody. And so that that first year was really tough because I didn't think the show was very good either. It was a big empty studio. There was no no atmosphere in there. We didn't really know what we we're doing. I think everyone was a little bit like, you know, don't don't say anything dumb, don't don't make any bad predictions or or anything like that. But over time, we we started to loosen up, and then it, we realized like you just got to be yourself. You just got to really let your own personality come through, whichever way that is, because some people will like you and support you, and some people won't. But you can't please everybody, and I think if you try to do that, that's how you end up miserable. So I, I really remember that second and third season, feeling like, okay, just be yourself, man. Just go out there and 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 try to make the show entertaining. Like we weren't really an X's and O type of show. We, we're more like, hey, this was funny. Look at the wedgies, you know, things like that, and and try to make it so that you don't have to be only a basketball fan to watch our show or enjoy our show. You can be someone who likes to be entertained. And and that I think is really when we started to really get into our groove was like, now we've got a few, a couple of hundred shows under our belt, right? This is a better format. And, uh, and, and things really went well from year two uh, until year six, when they, uh, at the end of year six, when they, when they didn't renew the contract. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that in a moment, but I thought that you guys were such a great complement to their programming and even any type of programming on, you know, like the league network, because it's usually, you know, host and then ex players or ex coach or ex GM. And none of you guys played NBA basketball. And, uh, you know, you, you may have played here and there. Obviously, you know how to play the game, but it was almost like the fans' perspective. And, we had been following, you know, the basketball Jones. So it's almost like, wow, you know, like the little engine that could, you guys made it. And the stuff at Summer League, the stuff at the, you know, All-Star Weekend, uh, the stuff that you do with some of the players, whenever you guys would interact with like the shacks of the world, it felt like these two worlds colliding. You know, it's it's an amazing thing to watch from the outside looking in for you. Highlight of your time there, I think most people would bring up the the Steph Curry, you know, shooting contest. Would that be it or is there something else? Because yeah. I mean, you had some great moments over there. Uh, I had some incredible moments and uh, the Steph Curry one for sure. I mean, that's the one that I I, I hate talking about that one. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, that, that came about because again, like when I was that kid, 12, 13 years of age, I absorbed anything I could get from the NBA. And so those first three-point shootouts, I mean, the All-Star Weekend back in the day, I don't want to get sort of too much on a get off my lawn type of thing or no, back I'm in my in, day. I'm but- in the same boat. Yeah, but the I mean, you know, the All Star Game in 1988 had Michael Jordan win the dunk contest, Larry Bird win the three point shootout. I mean, Michael Jordan then went on to win the All Star Game MVP. I mean, those things they really meant something to the players. They were competitive games, and so I remember watching Larry Bird the first three contests. He just won them all, and he had the great talk about. I think it was after the first one he said. Uh, when they presented in the check for ten thousand dollars, he said that check's had my name on it for a week. You know, great. And then of course in eighty eight, the story goes that he walked into the locker room and said, Who, "Which one of you bums is coming in second? You know. And then he needs to hit that last money ball to win it. He shoots it before it's even in the finger in the air. He's walking off, and 
you know, so I, I absorbed all that. And so when I talked about that on our show, and I talked about how Larry Bird lined the ball up on the right-hand side of his uh, body, and then Steph took that and put that into his own preparation and went on to win for the first time in four seasons. And 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 he mentioned that. Now, he didn't mention me. He didn't mention even the show, but he mentioned he was watching NBA TV. Ah. And we were in New York, and I remember my phone. I started getting these messages like, wow, did you see what Steph said? And I'm like, I'm like, what, what? I, you know, no, I haven't seen anything. People were like, oh, he mentioned, he referenced what you said on the show, and I was like, oh my god! So, <laughs> I mean, that that you know, to have said something, I mean, that that a player of his standard and his caliber not only heard, but then was able to sort of take from it and implement it and have success. I mean, that that's mind blowing. You know, it really is. And I still, I, I love talking about it. And then, of course, a few years later, I did go and have a shoot around with Steph in San Francisco, and uh, that was in 2017. And I flew to San Francisco the night after the show we did in Atlanta. I arrived. Uh, I went to practice the next morning at like twelve o'clock, and I saw Ray Ritter, the fantastic uh, Warriors uh, PR man there. And 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 he, I said, "Oh, hi, Ray. I'm here for the thing with Steph." And he's like, "Oh, well, what is it?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, uh, I'm doing this." And I, you know, he, I helped him. He's going to help me try to do my own three point shootout and stuff. And he's like, "Oh, yeah, okay. You've got eight minutes with Steph." And I'm like, eight minutes?" Yeah. I said, "You know, does Steph know what's going on?" He's like, "I don't know." So I walked over to Steph. He's signing autographs and, and stuff, you know, for some merchandise. And I, I said, hey, Steph, it's Lee. He's like, hey. I said, do you know why I'm here? And he's like, oh, what is it? And so I, anyway, we went through the whole thing. And then for the next half an hour, 45 minutes, I was shooting around with the greatest shooter that's ever played the game. And it was just like, it was like talking with you right now, just a couple of guys, basketball fans, just talking, except one's just an amazing shooter. And um, it was such a cool experience because I wasn't overwhelmed or like, oh my God, I'm meeting, you know, some guy that I've, I've, I've looked up to forever. It was more just like, we, you know, I'm obviously not comparing myself to Steph, but on that day, we, we connected on a level as two dads who were just basketball fans. That's all it was. You know, there was no... There was no fans. There was no other media around. It was just us and the camera crew shooting. And I was like, man, this is like the most exclusive access I can ever probably imagine to get with anybody. You know, short of meeting Michael Jordan, I don't think it can be topped, you know. And so it was just such a a fascinating experience and such an exhilarating experience that I I came home and I said to my wife, I said, man, I, I don't know how these things happen, but I just, I love the fact that they do. And I just... I tried to breathe it all in, absorb it all, and uh, you know, it, it really was one of the most mind-blowing experiences I've ever had. What was it like when you got the word that they weren't renewing your contract? Not just yours, but the whole crew. Well, um, a shock, to be honest, uh, because the show had been doing really well and had been improving each year uh, in terms of our numbers and our ratings. And so when they called us in, I sort of assumed, oh, well, this is probably the first, con- the first uh, conversation of like, hey. We're going to be renewing the contract, um, so let your agents know, and, and we'll get the conversation started. But instead, it was the opposite. It said, we're not doing it. And so it's a knock. You know, you, you're like, whoa, I did not expect to see that. But the truth is as well, I knew it wasn't going to last forever. And I knew that day was coming because any uh, you, you yourself know in the media world, it's a very fickle industry. Even if you are doing well, there's no guarantees of tomorrow. And so I came home and I told my wife, and she was shocked as well. And I said, but like, you know what? There were times in that six years, maybe not in the first year, but certainly in years two through six, where I said to my wife, I woke up in the morning and said, I don't know how long this is going to last. So whatever opportunity I get, I'm going to take it 
and I'm going to make the most of it. So going to the finals and all-star weekends and a few other features, I said, I'm just going to absolutely enjoy all of this. And so that day when they didn't renew it, I almost felt like I was prepared for it in that sense where I was like, yep, this, this, this day was happening. Now you have to just realize, okay, move on to the, whatever the next project is or whatever the next opportunity is. And, 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 they said it was a financial reason why they didn't renew the contract. And I think that is proven by the fact that they told us in March and they said, but you can finish out the season. So it wasn't like, okay, you guys have done something and we, we're canning you effective immediately. It was like, we're just not renewing the contract and we're giving you time to prepare your next move. So I was like, okay, fine. That's business. You know, I mean, <laughs> every, every uh, TV network at some point, you know, cries poor and they oh, we can't afford this, we can't afford that. So you move on from it. Um, but it was it was disappointing because TV is cool. Being on NBA TV was cool. And and I, there's no question I'd still be there if they kept the show going. I mean, because you don't walk away from that because it is it is awesome when people say, man, I see you on TV and I, I, I love this segment you did. I love that. And it was funny one day in uh, San Francisco at the finals one year, I was just walking on the street and this guy in the car drives past window down. Hey, you, I watch you talk shit on NBA TV every night. And I'm like, oh, and he goes, I love it, man. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's what I, I think about as well. Like you talked about earlier, most TV personalities are former players. So they have some, uh, you know, fame before they go into it. We weren't that. And so, uh, you know, I didn't I, I didn't think it was going to last for 20 seasons or anything like that. I, I thought we were going to get to at least 10, but we didn't. And it's that old saying, I'm, I'm certainly glad that it happened rather than sad that it's over. It's like, hey, what an awesome experience. So the next step was the athletic. And obviously, you're no longer with the athletic. And we're going to talk about why. But I'm just wondering, when do you start to feel like, you know what, this isn't for me anymore? Yeah, I mean, so I did three or four years, was it now, at The Athletic? I can't remember, actually. I think it was four. Um, it felt, I mean, the last two seasons, I think, felt like three because uh, with the COVID lockdown and the shut and, and things like that, it really did, it, it was funny. Like, when we first stopped, when the, when the NBA first stopped, I didn't miss it straight away. I was like, it's good to have a little bit of a break. And then when it came back, it felt like they jammed, you know, the end of that one season in the bubble and then followed up the next season and then followed up the next season. And at some point, something happened that I didn't expect was going to happen to me that I just, I felt I was just having the same conversation over and over and over again. And I wasn't able to enjoy the regular season in the same way as I had in the past. And that was one factor. But I think the the main factor was when I started traveling again with my family and, and I love to travel, it's one of my, it's my second biggest passion outside of basketball. I would play basketball on the street wherever I was in Berlin or Barcelona, and, and I'd put these highlights up on my Instagram channel. Now, now I'm not—they're not great highlights, but they're fun highlights. I mean, I'm just—hey, I'm—I'm I'm in this city. I'm going to play basketball, and what happened was, so many people started to slide into the DMs and say, "Hey, if you're in my city, come and play. I, I would—we've got a great court for you. I'll get some friends out." And the more and more that that happened, it started sort of forcing this idea on me that's like wonder if you could go around the world and play pickup basketball. I just wonder if you could turn this into a career. And once I started talking to my wife about it again, she's the most amazing person I've ever met. I'm incredibly fortunate to have, have met her and married her and uh, become a you know parent with her. And she didn't hesitate at all. She's like, listen, you gotta, you know, you gotta believe in things. You gotta go for things. Like they're not gonna come to you. And she's from Peru. So she grew up in a time where you know, getting to school was a challenge at times where there was terrorist threats, 
the finance, the financial system was always on the brink of collapse. It was often, uh, you know, political chaos. So she's lived a life where it's like, if you want to take on a challenge of playing basketball, it's not that daunting when you consider what it's like for an eight-year-old girl to just have to go to school in the morning and come home safely to her parents. So she was, once she was supportive and once I started to, to decide, I'm going to give this a shot. That's when I knew that I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to go all in. There's no, this is not a side hobby. This is a passion project. And if you're going to do it, there's going to be a a big sacrifice you have to make as far as like ending one career to start another. And that's what I decided um, at the end of last season. And I remember uh, the episode um, in which you you announced to the world that you were leaving the No Dunks crew. They became the No Dunks crew after leaving NBA TV. Uh, and it was somewhat of a shock because you guys are sort of like, you know, like you're like the Beatles of basketball, right? Like you're kind of a, a team and uh, it's great. And you don't really think one is going to to leave the pack, so to speak. And so I'm just wondering, what was it like when you told the boys that you were going to leave? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they were shocked, um, especially because we still had time left on our contract as well. So I, I was going to be, you know, giving away guaranteed uh, money there. But I just realized that if I, if I was going to do it, that you have to... Uh, make that decision and then stick to it. This is this is not a sort of decision where you can decide. I'll, I'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll try to do it on the side or try to sort of uh, burn the candle at both ends. You just have to do it. And and I just felt that after eleven seasons uh, with the guys, you know, a couple of thousand podcasts and hits and various, uh, you know, various variations of what we did for the show, it was like if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it now. And, and so I I said it to them, and they I think. I mean, look, over the years, they've been doing it now, I think, 16 or 17 years. I think all of them at some point have probably thought, maybe I want to do something else. But as you mentioned there, the show itself is like a family. There's no mm-hmm. question that, you know, Skeets and, and JD and Tass, who started it out, you know, incredibly started this project before anyone knew what a podcast was. And it was really different. The show it was fantastically creative and it, it remains that way to this day. It's still creative and it's still um, very different for, from any other podcast. Um, but I just decided, you know what, uh, like my life has been about trying things without knowing how they're going to turn out. I wouldn't be here in Atlanta if I didn't take that same approach in years gone by. I mean, the funny thing is I'm actually still technically on my backpacking trip from when I was 22 when I decided to go to Europe. I said to mum and dad, I'm going to Europe. I told my friends I'm going for two years. But inside, I was like, if I'm gone for six weeks or eight weeks or three months or whatever, I'll be homesick and I'll come home. But one thing led to another and another and another. And and that's how I got here to Atlanta. So for me, once I decided I was going to do this, it really wasn't anything different to how I've sort of approached life in the past when it comes to big decisions and challenges. It's like, I want to take them on and I I enjoy the uncertainty of not knowing exactly how things are going to turn out. So the announcement that you made at the end of the last season was not only that you were leaving the crew and the show, but you were going to embark on this, you know, sort of nomadic basketball journey where you wanted to play a pickup game in 20 different countries, right? But, you know, initially when I heard, I was like, you just want to scratch this off the bucket list, but it seems to me like you wanted to create something here. Like perhaps, like I said, the Anthony Bourdain of basketball, and that was a term that was uh, attached to you um, mm-hmm. in an article in the Washington Post. So full credit to them. But could you explain what the dream was? And can you tell me where you are in the process of realizing that dream right now? Because I know you have scratched you know, some yes. cities and countries off that list, right? Absolutely. And, and it is sort of continuing to evolved because before I started, it was like, yes, 20 cities, 20 countries and 20 games. And and what I hoped to do was 
you know, play basketball, make some friends, explore the city a little bit, and then tell a few stories. But I'm also doing this pretty much all by myself. And so already I've found it's exceptionally challenging trying to be your own producer, editor, director, content creator, booker, game player, you know, hotel booker, flight book, all that sort of stuff. So it's definitely been challenging. But I've also realized like it it doesn't have to be what I initially thought it was going to be. It can continue to evolve. And so what I am trying to do is still go to these different cities and uh, and, and countries and play. But I'm also hoping to add something to the city. Like I, I really learned in Africa where I was in February and March. I went to Cape Town, Lusaka, Livingston, and Nairobi. And I thought, I can't just turn up to those sort of countries and play basketball and leave. I want to actually bring something and help share the love and passion for the game. And so what I did was I contacted several NBA teams where I have a contact, and I just said, I'm going to these places and I'm going to be playing basketball, but I'm also going to be hosting clinics with kids and with locals. If you guys have any merchandise that you're no longer using or that's just you know gathering dust in a cupboard somewhere, if you can give it to me and I will I will pass that on to the people who come out to play. And what I really found was again, especially in Africa, the passion for basketball is incredible. The talent is incredible. They just don't have the infrastructure or the equipment for the most part. And so when I turned up to these courts and I had these incredibly, you know, the, these beautiful WNBA jerseys and shorts and, and T-shirts from the Bulls and the Bucks and the Nets and the Thunder and, you know, the Lakers, the Lakers stepped up. The Lakers, in fact, I have to give them a huge shout out here because of all the teams I contacted, the Lakers responded immediately and wow. they had and they had merchandise at my house within like three days. And I was like, wow, that is a class. You wouldn't expect that from the no, Lakers, right? No. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know yourself, when you fire off these emails, just to get a response is, is a bonus. And and so I just emailed anyone I had a contact to or email address and and Linda Rambus said boom here you go and I was like wow that is that is incredible now tons of other teams I have to say uh, did respond and were very generous in what they donated and so I got to these games and before I had my run I organised with a local contact who I'd established sometimes just through Instagram someone said if you come into my city let me know and I'll help you and they would get the kids to come out and play and so they all got a t-shirt or a water bottle or a hat. And they would play. And I was like, this is really actually something that these kids now, like, like if you you remember what it was like when you were a kid, if you got an official NBA jersey or a shirt, you'd wear that thing around, you know, until it fell off, you know, like your, your mom and dad are like, you got to wash that after yeah. three weeks straight of wearing. And so when I saw the impact I was able to have there, it's now sort of changed what I'm trying to do where I'm like, okay, now I want to actually do something more for these places that I go to. And so in Nairobi, this court that's uh, that's been built by the Giants of Africa, Masai um, Ujiri's foundation. Now I played there, and it was incredible. We had a couple of hundred people come out that night. There was uh, they had they they ran a, an official tournament with a trophy and everything like that. And I had all these jerseys. Now I I actually was like, oh my god, I don't have anywhere near enough now to go give out. I was at the end of my trip. I only had probably fifty left, and I was so I'm I'm, I'm flinging them to whoever I could. But I'm like, I almost feel. I'd rather have none than some because mm. you're like, you know, you're like, I can't feed, you know, I can't give everybody a, a, a T-shirt here. But anyway, that night, um, the person in Nairobi, they usually run the tournament on a Saturday night, but they moved it to the Friday night because that was the night I was going to be there. And it was just, it was incredible. The court was great. And then the standard of play is unbelievable. Out there, People were dunking. 
uh, out there. Guys are throwing down put back dunks and everything like this. So I'm out there trying to play. Now I'm trying to get some highlights from my own reel as yeah. well. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I can't even get the ball here because people are crossing each other up. They're hitting these long step back three pointers. The guys, you know, he threw down the dunk and he's doing the tap on the head. And I'm like, I just want to, I just want to make a nice pass. I just want to yeah. feel the ball. <laughs> so, um, so now, and, and I've been in contact with Giants of Africa and, and I'm hopefully potentially doing some more work uh, with them in, in Africa at some point here. And, and that to me is something that now makes it really fulfilling because it's like, this is not just a glory ego project of me playing basketball. It's about, I'm actually hopefully helping other kids, boys and girls get a start in basketball that maybe can, uh, you know, they can build their career and their, their love for the game on. So how many countries have you been to so far in, in the midst of this journey right here? Yeah. So I, I set out to do 20 and I'm at 10 already. Um, and can you name I, them? Yes, I can. I started in, uh, well, so I started in Germany because I was supposed to go straight to Slovenia, but the flight got delayed out of Atlanta. So I had 12 hours in Germany. So I said, all right, I'm going to Frank, I'm going to a basketball court here in Frankfurt. And I got some incredible content that day. This girl, Maria from Serbia turned up and she's like, right, let's play a game. She pulled out all these trick shots. It was incredible. And then I played a pickup game with these guys. I didn't have my gear, by the way. I was in jeans and a T-shirt that I'd worn on the plane because my luggage was being transferred yeah. to the next flight. <laughs> so I'd start. Can I interrupt you for a moment? Because yeah. I've heard you tell that story and it sounds like an incredible time. I'm a, I'm a huge germaphobe. And right. the first thing that came to mind was, <laughs> did you then go back on the plane wearing the same clothes without showering? <laughs> yes, I, oh, I had to. I had to. <laughs> that's crazy. God bless you. I would never well, be able to. That's the first thing that I thought. I was like, but where did he shower after the pickup game? I mean, I had nowhere to shower. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and again, dedication. But this, this to me kind of also really does summarize what how I approach things because, you know, a lot of people, when they miss a flight, they start sending nasty emails and, and, yeah. and tweets and things to the airline. You know, Where's my plan? And I'm like, like, hey, Germany's a huge basketball country. I know that. And I'm in Frankfurt, which is a massive city. So I just did a quick Google and I'm like, all right, I'm going to Huffen Park here, which is an amazing court. And I just started shooting around. And then, That's as amazing. I say, Maria Maria just turned up and, and this girl just turned up. And it was kind of like white men can't jump. I thought, I think she's going to be hustling me here, yeah. you know, because she started hitting these crazy shots and doing stuff. And it, and it was so much fun. Um, okay, so, so Germany was first. Yeah, Germany, then to Slovenia, which was uh, fantastic in Ljubljana there. But, but I had the game booked for the Friday night and I had a contact there who was, who'd got all these guys and girls to come out and play. The weather forecast for Friday was a 100% chance of rain. And I'm like, oh, my God. So it's a Thursday. And I'm like, I'm messaging my friend. I said, can you just see if anyone can come out today and play? Because it's not going to happen tomorrow. And he's like, you know, it's like, this is short notice, man. I mean, this is two hours you're giving me. And I said, I know. But just whoever can come is great. All the guys basically turned up on the wow. Thursday. And we played. And then we went and had a we, – we were playing for about 45 minutes. It started raining. And then we spent three hours in the pub or four hours in the yeah. pub after the game. So uh, that was incredible. Uh, I had a fantastic time with Sasha Doncic, Luka Doncic's dad in uh, Slovenia too. That was an amazing night. By the way, how does that even happen? Again, I just messaged someone and I said, because I know Sasha doesn't really do media. And um, I've, I don't think I've ever seen him do a, certainly an American media session that, that I'd know of. And I just said to my friend, listen, if, if, if I'm there, can you just ask him? And if he says, yes, great. If he says, no, well, no, no problems. And he said, yes. Wow. And I said, Hey, great. And then I said, can you give me a cameraman too and a studio? <laughs> uh -huh. and, uh, and and we were able to set that up. And, and Sasha wow. was incredibly charming, uh, funny, um, you know, intelligent. And uh, I had a, I had an incredible time with him. And then we went out for dinner. And that night, that dinner just went until well past midnight. 
And I had to get up for a bus ride to Zagreb in the morning and Sasha is still pouring wine and he's like, eat more. And I'm just like, Sasha, I've got to go. And <laughs> and the other funny thing was I had my ball with me because I've been, I've been taking a ball around and I was in the restaurant. At the start of the night, I had about by my feet and I was like, I'm going to be well behaved here. I'm not going to get the ball out. But we started drinking and having a good time. Then the ball came out and we were trying to do a little bit of uh, <laughs> trying to show off the handles in the restaurant. The ball's flying around. There's a few elbow passes going. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. And, um, yeah, so then I moved on to Zagreb the next day. And I had a game set up there on the Sunday, and uh, a person from uh, Croatian media said to me, "Hey, can we come out and cover?" And I said, "Yeah, of course." And so this guy came along, and we and he sort of did a little feature on it, and that aired on, I believe, it aired on Croatian TV. Certainly, it's on a, a Croatian website, uh, and that was incredible. And there in Zagreb, I had an amazing experience because I met Australian soccer legend uh, Mark Viduka, who uh, has a coffee shop. I think he was born in Zagreb, kind of raised in Melbourne, and he lives there now. And I tracked him down and I and I met him. And then uh, I played a game as well. Damien Rudez, who you might remember from the NBA, played for the uh, Pacers, the Magic and the Timberwolves. I got in touch with him and he said, hey, you want to play another game while you're here? And I said, yeah, of course. And, and he took me to his local court where he grew up and played. And uh, we had an amazing run. There was this 65-year-old guy who came out and was just a machine of buckets. And, uh, it, you know, I mean, this was on Incredible. a Monday night. Yeah, it was a Monday night. And and a lot of guys came out and we played. And then Damien said to me, you know, why don't you come back to my house and, and you can see where I grew up. And we go there and his mum wasn't expecting visitors. And, and But again, very hospitable. She just said, right, here's the tea that we grow these, uh, the tea leaves on our own farm. And she brought out some food as well, some local food. And it was like, this is this is what I kind of live for. These these unplanned, unexpected moments that are really so exciting and so much fun. And they only happen when you kind of put yourself in a position to to experience it. Um, and then Zagreb, that the next day I was leaving, but before I left, I, I had to check out the Drajan Petrovic uh stuff. And there's there's, there's the big um, you know burial ground there of his uh where he was where he was buried, and then there's the museum. And this is another wild story because I turned up and I was in the museum and I was just sort of strolling around and, and I went upstairs and there's all the jerseys and trophies and memorabilia of Drajan. And I'm just walking along and I saw a door and I thought this will just take me into another part of the museum. And I, I poked my head in and I recognized his mum immediately. I just knew that was Biserka. And I was like, oh, oh, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll, you know, I'll leave. Instead, she was on a laptop. She closed the laptop and she's like, no, you know, come, come, come. And and she took me around the museum and started explaining everything to me in, in broken Italian, wow. uh, which was which was hilarious. And the coolest part of that was there was there's plenty of photos of, of Croatia versus the Dream Team in 92, and she knew all the players. Oh, Clay Drexler, uh, David Robinson, uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, you know, and it was so cool. The mum was just so proud. Her son was sharing the court with the, you know, the greatest team of all time. And, um, oh, man, I, I, I just couldn't believe she was so welcoming to me. I, I just could not feel it, – it was like you turn up at someone's house where – you know, you're a good friend's house and their mum who who she's known you since you were a kid. It's like, oh, I haven't seen you. How are you doing? And and I I just uh, uh I just wanted to stay there all day and have lunch and everything because uh I just felt so welcome and, and it was just a an incredibly exhilarating experience. That is unbelievable. I mean, in, in the span of a weekend, you're hanging out with Luka Doncic's dad 
and and Jason Petrovic's mom. I mean, <laughs> I, I I firmly believe that like when you put out good vibes, good energy, it comes back to you. And this is an example of that. And so, all right, so you go to uh, Croatia, and then uh, what are the what are the seven other ones? I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah, so about Croatia, them. then to Serbia. I played in Belgrade there, and then to Greece. Did you hang out with uh, Nikola Jokic's family in Serbia? <laughs> no, well, he's brothers. not from Belgrade. No, they're, they're from Sambal. But um, I did, you know, yeah, yeah I, I did sort of mention to a couple of people, I said, anyone know any contact here for, uh, <laughs> there's actually, um, uh, there's a three-on-three player from Belgrade. I can't remember his name now. I got in touch with him and I was hoping he was going to come along to the run to play, but uh, he wasn't able to. So uh, that was a little bit uh, disappointing. But again, all things considered, no one's batting a thousand out there, you know. You have to, you have to just take a few losses. Um, yeah, Athens. We went to Athens next uh, and played there. And by the way, who's we? Oh, so so I was with the friend on that first trip, okay. who basically was the cameraman. But uh, I was wondering if you ever got lonely. If you ever felt like yeah. you know. Well, on the, on that first trip, no, because I had a friend. Um, okay who wasn't able to join me after that, but he was, it was more just sort of good luck that he had some time in his schedule and he said, oh, I'll come out there. And so it was, uh, it worked well in that sense. And then, so when I got back from that, I actually got an email from someone from EuroLeague who, who followed the show, the No Dunk Show. And he said, Hey, do you, are you interested in doing any EuroLeague work? And that was when I was like, absolutely. And so just after I got back from that trip, two weeks later, I was back in Belgrade for a uh, partisan Belgrade Red Star Belgrade Derby game in the EuroLeague. And that was like, one of the most amazing experiences I've ever been to. You know, I mean, the crowd was like nonstop. And I mean nonstop, jumping, chanting, singing, dancing. The, the entire, in fact, an hour before the game, most of the fans were already in the arena. Just, I mean, like this rivalry is as big as any sports rivalry. You know, you think Real Madrid, Barcelona, New York, Boston in anything, you know, Toronto, Montreal, whatever you want to choose. This one is as big as it, as, it, as it gets as well. And it was so much fun to be there. The adrenaline in the crowd was was intoxicating, you know. Um, so that I went back to Belgrade. That obviously doesn't count as another city because I didn't play a game there um, and, I was, and I was working. But then I came back to Atlanta. Then I went to South Africa, played in Cape Town, Zambia, and Kenya. And then since then, I've also been to Istanbul, which was with the EuroLeague again. But I had some time in the morning to play a game there. And, and contacted some people who, again, were fans of the show. And they said, if you're in Istanbul, let us know. We'll get a game. I said, I'm coming. They set it up. And then just recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got back from Lithuania. I was in uh, Konos for the EuroLeague Final Four, which was, oh, man, uh, it, like every basketball experience I have seems to top the one before it somehow. The cities are beautiful, you know, you know, great basketball. The atmosphere is amazing. And I feel so excited you know, as you get older in life, I don't think you experience new things as often as you do as a kid. And now this last six to eight months, it's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm that 22 year old again, who started backpacking and you go to a new city and all of a sudden you have a great time. And and it's like, wow, this is, this is awesome to be experiencing all this. So it's interesting. I was listening to an interview um, that you did with Howard Beck um, on his uh, SI podcast just a few months ago. And when you were talking about the journey, you had not been to some of these places that you just yeah. mentioned at the end, you were kind of like halfway there. And, you know, you talked about streaming platforms and a show and series. 
Am I correct in stating that the dream has kind of evolved now, that you don't necessarily care about that anymore? This has become bigger than just, you know, a series based on your travels. You you want to do more to maybe grow the sport and, and be kind of an ambassador. Is that a fair thing to say or no? Um, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would love to have a Netflix or Apple TV, Amazon, anyone come on board. I, w- I would love to because once you have uh, a producer, editor, you know, someone to help you craft the stories. It just makes it so much better. Like right now, the biggest challenge I'm facing is on my phone and on my computer and on my hard drive, I've got so much content that I just haven't been able to compile it in a way that I want to put it out there. I mean, I've got the the whole feature from Kenya and Zambia and the other ones that I'm building as well about, you know, the foods that I'm eating and the and the and the travel experiences that I'm having, like hiking up uh Lion's Head in Cape Town and and going to Victoria Falls in Zambia. Like I want to, I want this to be a traveling basketball journey. That's also helping people um, learn to, you know, and, and to grow the game, as you say there, that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm taking on everything. It's still a little bit foggy, exactly which direction I'm trying to take it. But again, if you have a dedicated production team and an editorial staff, then you know that I, if I can only concentrate on producing the content, I know then that I'll be able to get the story out there in a in a way that I'm that is much more consumable for people because that that's the that's the biggest challenge. I'm putting up clips and things on my YouTube channel and my Instagram, but I haven't yet been able to put together the bigger, longer term story that tells exactly what I'm doing and the people I'm meeting. And and again, without the support of these NBA teams who who donated all the merchandise, you know, then you wouldn't, you know, then you can really show how you are impacting people in these cities. So, um, you know, if if there are any uh, Netflix uh, producers out there listening, you know, or Amazon, I'm not fussy. I'll, I'm certainly uh, interested in talking to anybody because, or perhaps I, Showtime Basketball. Hey, Brian Showtime Basketball. Hey, you I know? tell you, I, I love the stuff Showtime's been doing with all the smoke. I mean, uh, yeah. that that's uh, yeah. Oh man, that that stuff is like Bar- Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. There, uh, they've got some incredibly good good content going right now. So yeah, I mean. That that's where I'd love to be, and um, you know, just just uh, again, I think like no one person can do it all themselves. So I'm hoping what I'm doing is is by getting out there and and putting up the content that I've got that that eventually someone will see and be like, hey, we can do something with this. And um, I'm all ears if there's anyone out there who's interested. Do you have a deadline? Like you need to get to the 20 cities and countries by this day? No, no. I mean, like for me, it's about. As long as I'm enjoying it and I'm getting traction and people are showing interest, I will keep going. And look, ultimately, uh, you know, I can't not make money in my life. And 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 fortunately, the Euroleague gigs that I've done, I've, I've been able to get some money. And and the trips to Africa, I was able to get sponsorship as well, as far as accommodation and travel and and food and allowances and things like that. So that's another part of it that I've learned as being my own businessman is. I, I've said to people, hey, I'll come, but I need some. If you can get a sponsor to come on and help alleviate the costs then that makes it a whole lot easier. So I, I'm not I'm certainly not making the money I made as a as a podcaster, but it's not a money, it's not about making money right now. It's about can I actually do this? And so far, I mean, I, I set myself a goal. I've got my goals board over there. And I was looking at it this morning and I said I wanted to be 10 cities by the end of this year. And I'm I'm at 10 already and I'm going to be at 13 or 14 in about a month. Or so so I, I feel I've had some success, but certainly not you know, it's not all over right now. It's like, I'm going to keep on going and hopefully uh, generate some more interest and some more traction. And and I'm just curious, uh, as a result of this um, sort of break from being in the media, 
are you not following the NBA as much? I mean, probably not as much as you were before because you're doing a daily show, but mm. ha- have you taken a break from the NBA and are you enjoying that break if so? Yes, yes and yes. Um, I, I mean, I think that is a part of it that I got a little burnt out from just that that continual sort of like you come home and you know what it's like as a father. Like I would I would come home, play with my kids and then like from 7.30 onwards, you're just watching game after game after game after game. And, and I think the NBA – one of the challenges they have right now is is way too many meaningless games. I think they need to find a way to tighten the season, compact it, and make games mean something because I think there's a bit of a feeling for, uh, from a lot of NBA um, writers and, and coverers that they might not admit it, but I think a few other people are feeling that same way, that it's such a grind and you know, load management is having a, a, a toll, I think, because if you're not, you know, if, if players are sort of playing on their own schedule, then I think that does make it a little bit, a little bit harder to follow. You know, one of the great things about soccer, and I know Adam Silver's a big soccer fan, is is the promotion relegation system. I mean, it's love it. It's it's incredible because it keeps every team engaged right up until the last kick of the season. And that's that's where I think the NBA is struggling a little bit. It's like there's teams we know that kind of tank from you know November or December. And and that's not good. I think you need to find a way to make it that these teams have a, a real punishment if they aren't competing for the entire season because if you just saw it recently i mean it's heartbreaking stuff for these teams that get relegated but the last six weeks two months of the season when there's probably you know seven or eight teams who are trying to avoid it and it's this you know they're all trying to tread on top of each other so they don't get relegated fascinating football it's it's the most pure passionate football you can see because nobody wants that that relegation and so so yeah, I, I have enjoyed it, but I am still following. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the finals. I, I really love watching. Uh, I mean, the story for the Miami Heat is just incredible, um, and I'm I'm so glad to see Nikola Jokic in the finals as well. Uh, that that's amazing. So I still love basketball. It's not like I've I've fallen out of love with it, but I also feel that you sometimes you know it's okay to try something new, try something different, and and so far six to eight months in. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now and um I you know no no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Do you think you'll ever go back to being a media member? Really hard to say at this moment. Um because it's not on my radar right now. Now, things change. I mean, mm. things change in a year or two's time, but I I really my experiences with EuroLeague has made me want to explore that league a lot more too. I mean, just again the, the new experiences, seeing these big rivalries, seeing these teams play each other, and and, and I, maybe I've been seduced a little bit because my experiences in so far have all been incredible games, fascinating moments. Sergio Yul hit the game winner. I don't know if you saw it for Real it Madrid against Olympiacos. I mean, it was the most perfect way, like that '87 All Star game was for me that seduced me. Sergio Yul hitting the game winner. You know, it was in a neutral venue, but technically it was on the road because it was 95% Olympiacos fans in the stadium there. It was like, wow, what a what an awesome uh, game. Great city, new people, fun, new, exciting venture. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, looking to explore more of those options. I think you would be perfect for them. In fact, when you were at the Final Four, um, just a few days before the final four, uh, we did an interview with Marshall Glickman, the CEO of your league mm. for this show. And so, uh, you know, I, I really got invested into Euroleague and, and, and tried to learn as much as possible about them. It's hard to watch them here in the United States, as you know, but uh, excited that they're going to be, you know, with ESPN Plus next year. So that will be great. 
And then I watched, and then I saw you there, and I was like, "Oh, this is perfect! International man of mystery over there. You, 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 you to me are international basketball. You have a fan base here. Your fan base will hopefully follow you and watch your coverage over there." Like I thought that was a brilliant move on their part and yours. So I would love to see you do more with them. I think that would be a, a perfect fit. And I agree, by the way, with what you said regarding uh, soccer slash football. My my sons have become huge soccer fans this year, and I have to admit. Uh, because I wanted to bond with them. They're not so into the NBA like me. So I wanted to bond with them. I picked a team, Nottingham Forest, which was in that, you know, yeah. relegation battle. And it was some of the most fun that I've ever had as a sports fan, certainly of the last couple of decades. And it actually has, to a degree, affected my NBA fandom. Because I'm like, <laughs> right. you know, game 67 of the regular season doesn't compare to this team literally fighting for survival. Could you imagine if the Magic were fighting to stay up oh. and the Westchester Knicks were coming up and, and going to... I mean, like, you can't even imagine. It would be incredible. I wish they would do yeah. something like that. I mean, they, they they can't because there's simply not a league that's, that's you know, you yeah. can't send the Orlando Magic down to MLS the should do league. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, in terms of uh, keeping fans invested the whole season, that's what makes it so great. And there's no garbage time in soccer. Like, you you know, you don't... If you're up 4-0, the team's trying to bang in the fifth one. There's no, like, take their foot off the gas. And so... Yeah, it, it, and and again, when I first moved to London, I didn't even know the promotion relegation system existed until I got there, and I saw this one game was Charlton versus Sunderland. Actually, this was for promotion, you know, two two after regulation, three three after extra time, and then penalties. And I was like, this is unbelievable! Like the the the, the passion that these these guys have got to play was was uh, remarkable. So. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, I, I do still love the NBA, but um, I'm I'm enjoying, you know, seeing another girl right yeah. now. It's like uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, and I do believe you're going to the uh, the World Cup, right? Um, later on this summer. I am very not confirmed, but I am. Okay. I'm certainly closer to that happening than not happening right now. So, uh, man, you're going to see some good basketball over there. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. Why don't you, why don't you come on out there for, uh, it's, uh, it's hey, tough. It's can... tough. But, uh, you know, uh, I am hoping, and I've kind of put it out there. I'm expecting to see Canada in the Olympics next year and I'm expecting them to do well. It's time for all these guys, Shea Gilgis and Jamal Murray and RJ Barrett to finally come over and, bring Canada back to the Olympics. Last time was in Sydney in 2000 yes. with Steve Nash. I remember right. that waking up very early to watch those games. Um, I don't want to take up more of your time. I, I would love to end on this because I think a lot of people can relate to your story. I relate to it as well as someone who has, you know, taken different, you know, twists and turns throughout his career. What would you say to someone out there who is feeling, you know, like they hit that ceiling dead end, basketball fan or not, like just needing a bit of a refresh and it's very daunting, right? You're a family man, your father, you know, you go out there on your own, you leave something that's secure, you're with your friends, you're having a great time, a dream job, some would say, and you take a chance, you bet on yourself, so to speak. What would be the message to someone who wants to do it, but maybe doesn't have the guts right now to do it? It just comes down to that. You just have to basically make that tough decision and knowing that worst case scenario, you'll find another job. Maybe you can return to your old job if that's what's, you know, holding you up. Because I think one of the things that helped me was speaking with a therapist. And so many of us, we place obstacles in the way and say, well, I, you know, I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. And once you kind of remove those obstacles that you, you put in, you're like, well, why can't I do this? Why shouldn't I do this? You know, the only way you're going to find out is to do it. And that's, again, what has kind of fueled so many decisions in my life where I've like, well, I want to find out one way or the other. I want to know the answer, yes or no. I don't like this gray area. And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's a no, but I'm always 
feeling more satisfied knowing that I've gotten that answer. And so it, it's out there. You can go and do it. I mean, people, same thing, have asked me, how, how are you doing this? And I'm like, I'm figuring this out as I'm going along as well. But I just know that I didn't want to be sitting at that no dunks desk in two years' time, three years' time, thinking like, I wonder what would have happened if I'd taken – I wouldn't have had that time with Biserka Petrovic, that incredible moment. I wouldn't have met Sasha Doncic. I wouldn't have had that experience in, in Istanbul and, and Konis and Belgrade. And, and now I'm like – that's that gives me that motivation and inspiration to keep on going because I know there's way more experiences like that out there and I just can't wait to experience them. I love it. I love everything about it. Uh, you're an inspiration, my friend. Keep on doing it. Keep on living your dream. Uh, keep you know going out there and showing people that really at the end of the day, you don't want to be 85 and look back and say, you know, what if? And uh, you only Absolutely. get one life. So uh, you are a living example of someone who's going out there and doing it. Good luck to you. Uh, I hope you get that streaming show. I hope you're an ambassador. <laughs> I hope you're working for EuroLeague. I hope you get to do it all, my friend. Thank you so much for the time and uh, continued good luck to you. Anytime, Ariel. Thanks very much for having me. All right. How great was that? That, I mean, that was very inspiring stuff. Like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm rooting for Lee. I hope that he takes this journey in many different directions. I love what he's doing with EuroLeague. I think that's very smart that they've teamed up with him. I, I hope they do that for next season as well. Great move by Marshall Glickman, who obviously was a guest on, on this program a few weeks back and their whole team over there in Europe. And uh, let's see, let's see where he goes from here. But like I said, a great lesson to be learned here for anyone who may feel stuck, who may feel burnt out, who may feel like they hit a wall. You only get one life. Might as well go out and take a chance if you're able to, um, because you don't want to regret. You don't want to regret the decisions that you made when uh, you know, you're know you 85 years old looking back and, and, and saying that you should have zigged when you zagged. You know what I mean? And so there's, there's a lot here to, uh, to take, to be inspired by, to try to emulate. And uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did as well. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for continuing to download and review and rate and comment and all that stuff. We appreciate it very, very much. A lot more to come here on the Ariel Hawani Basketball Show. But for now, we are out of time. Thank you so much to Lee Ellis. Thank you to the production team. Thanks to all of you. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you next time.